This is an RNZ podcast. This morning, serious sexual assaults, including group rape, have been disclosed by students at Christchurch Girls High School in a whole-of-school survey conducted last month. Nearly 60% of survey respondents said they'd been harassed, a quarter of them more than 10 times. 20 students described being raped by individuals or groups. We'll find out what prompted Christchurch Girls to survey all of these students, discuss what happens now and what this says about what young students are putting up with elsewhere around the country as well. That was Catherine Ryan kicking off 9 to noon last Monday with a confronting story. And one reason that Christchurch Girls High School surveyed its students in the first place was that they'd protested against sexual harassment back in March but were turned away from Christchurch Boys High by the police. Now on Monday, when that survey was released, police from a specialist team were on site at Christchurch Girls High and the principal, Christine O'Neill, told 9 to noon this. It's one of the most... Concerning things about this survey uh, findings has been the utter silence around everything and the normalisation. So today is a day for beginning to lift that silence. So staff know if the students want to talk, let them talk. And two days after that, Catherine Ryan kicked off her show with another development. Well, first, three students from Christchurch Girls High School have made formal complaints to the police of incidents of sexual assault. This follows the release on Monday of the survey of 700 students at the school, 59% of whom reported experiencing sexual harassment, with 20 students described being raped by individuals or groups. So breaking the silence that Principal Christine O'Neill referred to there has already had an impact, it seems. But some journalists also know that encouraging victims of violence and assault to talk can be fraught. If it's done well, compelling accounts of wrongdoing are brought to public attention in the media, and sometimes wrongs can even be put right. But there's also the very real risk of re-victimising people and making things worse, as Hayden Donnell reports. I had so many people advise me, like, why don't you go to the media? Why don't you, you know, do this, that and the other thing? And I didn't, I just didn't want to. I think because it had taken me so much courage to do this in the first place, and I was so concerned with how it would it's affect also him. Really traumatizing to relive. Exactly. I didn't. I just wanted to move on. That was Taryn Flintoff talking about her decision not to go to the media to reveal the abusive behaviour of her ex-partner, former National Party candidate Jake Bazant. Notably, when she did decide to air her story, she chose her own podcast as the medium. Flintoff would later go on to give media interviews, but it's understandable she was initially keen to tell her story another way. Our news organisations haven't always distinguished themselves with their sensitive handling of sexual assault and other abuse allegations. In 2013, Radio Live hosts Willie Jackson and John Tamahiri carried out a widely derided interview with a friend of one of the victims of the Roastbusters gang. They asked the woman, identified as Amy, why she and her friends had been drinking and why they'd been out late at night. Jackson questioned whether Amy's then underage friends could have been raped if they consented to sex or even if they thought the Roastbusters were good-looking. Last year, former Magic Talk host Sean Plunkett insinuated he would reveal the identity of a woman who made a sexual assault allegation against a Labour Party staffer if she didn't explain to him why he shouldn't. More recently, NewsHub ran a story about alleged offending committed by an employee at a number one shoe warehouse in Palmerston North. It was criticised for describing the man's victims in terms like fit brunette and reprinting photos taken non-consensually by the offender. 
One of the people who criticised that article was Stuff's Kirsty Johnston, who said its focus on the man's shoe fetish obscured the seriousness of his actions, which included an online confession to a serious sexual assault. Johnston and others at Stuff, including Me Too section editor Ali Moore, have been working to publish victim-centred stories on issues like sexual abuse and harassment and family violence. She spoke to me about how she goes about her work and what pitfalls journalists can avoid when covering these types of stories. Kia ora, Kirsty, and welcome to Media Watch. Hello, Hayden. So recently we had a big parliamentary scandal involving abuse where a former national candidate was impersonating his ex-girlfriend online. And the interesting thing about how that story started off is that the woman at the heart of it, Taryn Flintoff, decided to air her complaint about Jake Bazant on a podcast, not through the media or anything like that. And I wondered why you think victims like Taryn might not trust the media to tell their stories. It is interesting, isn't it? I think historically, definitely the media haven't done victims a service. Particularly these kind of victims, by which I mean women, have really been hung out to dry by the media. They've been targeted. Like if you think of all those kind of red top newspapers and the general kind of mid-90s vilification of women, I mean, if I was a victim, I would be very sceptical of mainstream media generally. So basically part of the reason is that there's been this history of reporting on these matters that isn't necessarily uh, appropriate, doesn't necessarily serve the victims. You try to do it differently and practice victim-centred reporting, and can you explain what that is? I mean, if you think about someone who is a victim, they've already been through enough. And as a reporter, you don't want to make their life worse. Because I think that's a very easy thing to do. And even when people come to me and they want to tell their stories, I definitely get a feeling a lot of the time, like, are you sure you want to do this? And I think as a more junior reporter, I wouldn't have voiced that. But now I definitely ask them and I tell them the risks because I think it's fair and the right thing to do to let people know that it could go badly. Do you have a set of principles for what constitutes a victim-centred reporting? I guess I do, but I don't know if they are crystallised. But I think the first one would be being straight up and telling them this is what it's going to look like, you know, this is how it's going to feel, these are the risks for you. And then I think also allowing them to have some input into how their story is told. For like, I mean, there's really little things that you can do to help people. I mean, if they need a pseudonym, you can let them choose the pseudonym. Or, you know, if they've given you a full interview and you've chosen some quotes out of it to let them know how you're going to use their quotes and how you're going to frame them. It doesn't always mean that you will change things. It's just to let them know so that when their story comes out, the way that it's presented isn't a complete surprise to them. Because I've definitely in the past taken people's stories, written them up, and then they've felt kind of not okay with the way I've published it and or just been surprised by it I think and even like not victims but say families of victims like I remember one time I did a story about a woman who had been killed it was kind of like a cold case murder and I interviewed her brother who was desperately trying to find you know what had happened to her Um, and in the story I wrote that she'd been a prostitute and he didn't know that like he only found that out from my reporting And that's not fair. So I think that kind of thing is what you would be trying to avoid, just to make it easier on the people who are in your stories. 
let's try and ground this in some actual practical examples because there's been a lot of reporting in this space, good and bad, recently. So there was a News Hub report recently on what it called a foot fetishist who allegedly committed a series of offences while employed at the number one shoe warehouse. And you had real problems with how that story was constructed. And I'm just wondering what those were. Yeah, that story had a lot of issues, didn't it? But I think mainly it kind of perpetuated the same kind of behaviour that it was vilifying. I mean, I remember it called people like a blonde and a brunette and it showed the pictures of the abuse, like the, the foot fetish pictures that were posted online. It reposted them. So in some way it was like recreating the same kind of gross, sexist, misogynist things that it was allegedly saying was bad in the story. So it kind um, it of reveled sit, in the details, right? Is that the kind yeah, of... Yeah, it was like titillating. It was titillating. And I think if you're going to tell a story about, like, sexual abuse, like, maybe you don't want to glorify or, like, sexualize that abuse because you're just, I guess, re-victimizing people or re-perpetuating the same thing. Probably one of the indications that it wasn't written quite the right way was that despite carrying allegations of, of really harmful abuse it became kind of a joke online yeah it immediately became the butt of the office jokes like oh the foot fetishist and i just read it and thought god imagine being one of those women what could have been done to ensure that it was told better in a victim-centered way I mean, just be more straight. Like, all of the writing around it was very inflammatory and very kind of weird and descriptive. Particularly, there were, like, subheadings that were just, I don't know, they were really weird. Like, a tangled worm of betrayal was one of them. And you don't need to use language like that. You can just tell the story in a sensitive way. And also, I I think they did um, interview victims, but they put them really far down the story. And I don't think they really captured how those people felt. It was very much written as like a red top story, like a tabloid story. For you, a good report on this sort of issue would be, that would be the first thing that you would think about in writing your story. Yeah, and also um, it's like it's not just because that's good for victims and that's like a good human sensible thing to do, but audience resonate with it. You do need to like be able to to feel empathy for the people who have been hurt by crimes. Like that's that's the point of reporting is that you try and show your audience like why that was bad or how that felt for somebody. You try and like humanize it because that's what humans want. That's why we put photos in stories, right? They Humans connect with other humans. So even at a basic reporting level, that's a good way to tell a story. The second recent incident that I wanted to bring up uh, was a dispute between Chris Bishop of National and Trevor Mallard in Parliament over sexual assault allegations made against a Parliament staffer. In 2019, Trevor Mallard falsely accused a man of rape and later apologised. The Speaker's defamation proceedings costing taxpayers more than $330,000. Last night, he accused that same man of serious sexual assault. I believe the victims and I believe the police. Now, people have to make a choice. Do they believe the victim the results of the independent internal investigation and the police? Or do they believe the person on which Mr Bishop relies? If he believes what he says to be true, he will say it outside Parliament. you remember that exchange? I sure do. What was striking to you about it? 
uh, I guess it was exactly the opposite of what we were just talking about. It was like the victims were this kind of idea or like this concept that they hadn't even bothered to to center. They were just kind of using them, as, I guess, as like a political football. Equally, it was more about the fight between these two men, both of which had quite a lot of seemingly pride on the line. Yeah, and, I mean, everyone knows those two don't like each other. So it was just kind of gross within that space for these women to be used in in that way. We've been talking about victim-centred reporting. How do you balance that against the journalistic convention of needing to tell both sides of the story? Well, I think um, historically we have done that to a degree that is kind of like a false balance, I would say. From my perspective, if you've got a woman saying, I was sexually abused by this person, and you have a man saying, oh, well, no, I didn't. I just looked at her, um, and she's now gone off the deep end. I don't necessarily think that's balance, you know, or that's fear. This kind of idea of equivalency needs to be weighted, that we, you can't we, just let an abusive person just say, oh, I didn't do that, that's her fault. I don't think that's balance. I think it's our job to get closer to the truth, not to just let everyone have their say in this kind of crazy melee of accusations. Right. I mean, it's a very diff- different topic, but you see it in kind of climate change reporting where mm. um, people think that you need to give equal balance to people that deny climate change and people that say it exists when really those two views are not equally valid. Is this sort of a similar thing? Yeah, it's exactly the same. And like we're seeing it in the vaccine debate, you know, there's new, I guess, norms about how you treat that. Like, do you let people who are actively denying science have as much space or as much time in the media? I feel like these stories are very similar. It's kind of, it's almost like rewriting the historical thing where men got all the power to say what they wanted um, and, and allowing women's stories to surface. I think that's kind of what's happening. Even if uh, people have concerns that they won't be treated fairly, we actually have an incredibly strict defamation law that reporters have to overcome or deal with before they print anything. Yeah, and it's not just defamation law that would guide you as a reporter. I mean, I know that personally I'm constantly asking myself, is this fair, is this fair, is this fair? We inherently are concerned about it all the time. And just because stories don't look like they have traditionally doesn't mean that we're not going through that same process. These are people you're representing that traditionally haven't had the power. They haven't had the power in their relationships, and now that they're actually sharing their experience of abuse, they also encountered difficulties and Mm. power imbalances. One of those is in the judiciary. So you did a story recently about Mrs P, who was falsely convicted of perjury, spent a year in home detention, and had basically a nightmare experience with the court system. Mm. Is is that system, is it actually a- actively contributing to trauma? Yeah, I think the court system definitely silences people. I mean, there's rules. There's a rule in the court that says you can't like identify vulnerable people that are involved. And so that really constrains what we can do, what victims can do, you know, and the way that that's interpreted by lawyers and by the judiciary is like sometimes wrong. I mean, women are told that they can't even show their court documents to other people because that's breaching that rule. 
you know, they are scared that they're going to be punished for speaking out. And it's not fair, like their stories do need to be heard um, and it's not fair to, to kind of ramp up that fear further. Newsroom is being prosecuted at the moment uh, by Crown Law for its reporting on a reverse uplift. Yeah, so that's breaching the same rule that I was talking about that says that you can't identify vulnerable parties. How much of a chilling effect does that rule have? I mean, it's huge, yeah. People are terrified of it because you've got to remember that these people, often they have judgments, um, they have, you know, rulings about their children, for example, where and care their children are, and they've fought and they've fought and they've fought to have their children in the care of somebody who's safe. And they feel like if they breach that or if they do something to upset the court, they can be dragged back and maybe those orders will be rewritten. I mean, it's very complicated, but I do think that victims who want to speak out will see that story and at least hesitate, if not more. Just on a personal note, is is this sort of work sustainable? Writing about violence, do you mean, and trauma? Yes. I don't think it is long-term. I think you kind of have to maybe dip in and out of it. It's a lot to hold people's stories and to worry about them all the time because you do, you, you think are they going to be okay? And often these victims, they will they will dip in and out of wanting to do a story, right? And I think if we're talking about victim-centered reporting, some of the time that means not reporting. Like sometimes people just don't want to tell their stories. And I think 10 years ago I would have, you know, had people who said, oh, I'm not really comfortable with doing this and I would have tried to talk them around. And now I just leave them. Like that's their choice. If they want to tell it, they will tell it at a time that's okay for them. And, you know, I think that is something that, you know, increasingly we need to think about, you know. Like take your ego out of it. Take your desire to tell the story out of it, you know, your your hope for glory or, you know, any of that and just think about what's best for that person. And maybe they will come back to you and maybe they won't and I think you have to be okay with any of those outcomes. What can media organisations do, if anything really, to actually make your type of work sustainable for a longer period of time? Uh, I think, I mean, they're quite good now where they provide counselling and that kind of thing. And there's not as much rushing. Like, I remember with the Mrs. P story, it took a while to get over the line. Like, um, she got nervous and that kind of thing. And one of the editors said to me, you know, she is more important. She's more important. And I just felt, like, so comforted by that because I think previously the imperative would have been about the deadline and getting it on the page and getting that story out. But um, that showed a real change in attitude. That's Stuff reporter Kirsty Johnston talking there to Media Watch's Hayden Donnell about reporting that centres on victims.